A crucifixion was the worst of all types of capital punishment in Jesus' day. Not only was it extremely painful, not only was it extremely gruesome, but it was also humiliating. They would strip you down of all your clothing, and you would have to walk around naked or nearly so. The execution was done publicly in front of the eyeballs of all the people that were watching. And as you're being flogged and as you're being beaten, there are onlookers all around you yelling obscenities, laughing, and screaming insults at you. It was such a severe punishment that the first uh, century historian Josephus, he described it as this. He said it was the most wretched of deaths. That's the way the historian, the first century historian described it. Imagine a punishment so cruel that it frightened Roman citizens to even mention the word cross. They wouldn't even use the word. In fact, from the word crucifixion, we get our English word excruciating. Have you ever used that word, excruciating pain? We get that from crucifixion. And leading up to the actual execution of the cross, Jesus had already experienced a bunch of torture. And and then after being led to the high priest, before even being led there, he was blindfolded and spat on and he was slapped and punched in the face. And then after he was led to Pilate, who was the governor, and this, this governor had authority to release Jesus or to hand him over to be crucified. He was overwhelmed, Pilate was, this governor was overwhelmed by the cries of the public, of all the people of yelling for, for him to be crucified, that he sent Jesus to be executed. He sends Jesus to receive a Roman flogging. And for a Roman flogging, the Roman soldiers, they would use a leather whip, right? But not just any leather whip. On the end of this whip, there was three to nine strands. And on each of these three to nine strands, there were lead balls. And within those lead balls were pointy little jagged bones and pieces of shattered glass that were on this whip that they used to flog Jesus. This whip was made to destroy a person's flesh. Many people died from the flogging alone. It was so severe that oftentimes the person that received the flogging, their bones would be exposed or their internal organs would be exposed. Jesus experienced that flogging. Jesus experienced that torture. The soldiers then made a crown made out of thorns and they put it on his head. They impaled him to scalp. And this was to mock Jesus for the claim of being the Messiah. Because Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. They wanted to make fun of him. Oh, you think you're the king? They made a crown of thorns and impaled it into into his scalp. They placed a purple robe upon him. Once again to mock him, to make fun. Because purple was the color of royalty. Purple was an expensive color. The dye to make the, the robe was expensive. Only people in royalty with a lot of money had that. And so they were just insulting Jesus. Oh, you're the king. Here's your robe. Here's your crown. Pain. Humiliation. Torture. All of this, Jesus experienced. And why did he experience this? The prophet Isaiah tells us this in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. This prophecy was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. 
We're going to read words that were written hundreds of years. Words about Jesus before he even came into, before he was born, before his life. The, per, the person of Jesus. You have it there in your notes. Would you guys read it out loud with me? Isaiah 53 verse 5. Ready? Go. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. Crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. Maybe you want to circle these words. Or underline every time it says our. Our rebellion. Our iniquities. Our sin. Our lack of peace is what put Jesus in that situation. We rebelled against God. Yet how does God respond? He responds in mercy. Through the person and work of Jesus, he received the punishment for our sin. And after this crude beating and torture and flogging, Jesus would have lost so much blood that it's even a wonder how he could walk. Some of you get lightheaded after you go to the doctor for a blood test. Imagine Jesus. Jesus would have lost a huge amount of blood, if not most, by this point in his execution. And then we read this. Matthew chapter 27. These are the verses that we are reading today. And the verses, if you're following along, Matthew chapter 27, verse 32. As they were going out, they found a Cyrenian man named Simon, and they forced him to carry his cross. Jesus, at this point, after the flogging, with the crown of thorns, after going through all this, losing all this blood, he's on his way to the, to, to the mountain, and they see a man. History tells us that more than likely what Jesus carried was the cross beam portion of the cross. He didn't carry the whole cross itself. It was the cross beam section. But at this point on the journey to the cross, Jesus has lost so much blood that he's unable to carry the cross up Golgotha, up the hill. So the Roman soldiers forced this guy who is just there named Simon to help Jesus carry the cross up the hill. Verse 33 to 34. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. So the place where they hung the crosses was at the top of a hill called Golgotha, or the translation, place of the skull. And the reason they called this this was because if you looked at it from a distance, it looked like a skull was imprinted or embedded into the side of the mountain. And as Jesus is there, they offer him wine, Mixed with gall. The gall was considered a poison. And it was used to hasten death. In other words, it was a poison that would have killed the prisoner sooner. That would have rushed death if he would have drunk it. And most theologians believe the fact that Jesus refused to drink the wine with the gall was to refuse the easy way out. Because if he would have drank that, he would have died sooner. But he refused it. Jesus endured the entire punishment of the cross. Verse 35 to 37. After crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. Then they sat down and were guarding him there. 
above his head, they put up the charge against him in writing. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Written above Jesus on the top of the cross were the words, This is Jesus, king of the Jews. You see, guys, the reason they crucified Jesus was not because he was a good teacher. Though some people in the world will tell you, eh, no, Jesus never said that. Jesus was just a good teacher. He wasn't crucified because he was a prophet. He wasn't crucified because he was a miracle worker. He was crucified and he was put to death because he claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. And in the Old Testament, there were prophecies of a Messiah who would come. Jesus was the Messiah. And they rejected him. And they rejected his message. To mock him for his claim, they nail a sign above his head that says, King of the Jews. Then verse 38 says this, Then two criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. There were two criminals, guys, that hung with Jesus that day. Crucifixion was a form of capital punishment, like I mentioned earlier. And on this day, there were three that were sentenced to the death penalty. The Bible says that there were two criminals on either side of Jesus. Now, we do not know much about these thieves or these criminals, but theologians and scholars believe that these criminals were more than likely both thieves and murderers. It was highly unlikely that someone would receive the death penalty just for thieving, just for robbery. So chances are that these guys were killers and thieves. Additionally, there's consensus that there was a great likelihood that these two thieves probably knew each other. Think about this. The two thieves, the two criminals on the cross next to Jesus, they did dirt together. They ran together. Maybe they, they worked together to rob and murder innocent people. Maybe they were part of the same, the same gang, of the same group of thieves. They ran together, did dirt together. They knew one another. And who's between them? Jesus. The perfect, blameless, sinless Lamb of God. Jesus, who is innocent, is sentenced with and executed alongside two guilty men. You see, these men broke the law. And Jesus fulfilled it. These men stole. Jesus generously gave. These men murdered life. Jesus gave life. Do you guys see the difference? Do you see the contrast? Verses 39 to 43 says this. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, imagine this picture, guys. I want you to envision this. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him and said, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the son of God. These are the words of the people that are there alongside of Jesus. And though Jesus was crucified along 
with these two criminals, notice who gets all the attention. Who's getting all the words? Who's getting all the insults? All the insults and all the words are directed to Jesus. Picture this environment. Jesus has already been beaten. He's already been scourged and tortured and whipped nearly to death. He's endured the insults and the mocking of the crowds through his sentencing. The creator mocked by his creation. And even as he hangs on the cross, near emptied of every drop of blood in his body, they continue to hurl insults at him. They shake their heads and they shake their fists at him. Save yourself. Get off the cross and we'll believe in you. They mock Jesus. They insult him. Verse 44 says this. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him, what did they do? Taunted him. What was the attitude of both criminals at this point? They both taunt Jesus. They both join in on the voices of the crowd around them. They join in on the chorus to insult Jesus. You know, maybe they enjoyed the lack of attention for once. You know, they've been called criminals. People hated them. Maybe they liked the fact that finally for once, they weren't the center of attention. Everyone was focused on Jesus instead of their crimes. And they loved that finally there's somebody that they can poke at that wasn't themselves. And now to see something that happened next, we have to turn to the Gospel of Luke for a little bit more information. In Luke chapter 23, verse 39, we read this. Matthew doesn't say this. We read it in Luke. Luke gives us a little bit more details. Look at what it says in verse 39. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. The criminal looks at Jesus and tells him, Aren't you the Messiah? Isn't that who you say you are? Save yourself and save me while you're at it. The name of the series is A Tale of Three Thieves. And we want to look at these thieves and see what we can learn from what they said and to see if we can identify ourselves in this story. Here's three things that we learn from this statement of this thief. If you like to take notes, please take out your notes. Here's the three things on the bottom of that page. Here's number one. Don't blend in with the crowd. Stand out. Don't blend in with the crowd. Stand out. This criminal's voice was blending in with the voice, the voices of the crowds that were present at Jesus' crucifixion that day. He just joined in on what everybody else was saying. He was basically echoing what we read in Matthew. He joined in on the insults and shouting to Jesus. Guys, likewise, the temptation for you and I is to blend in with the rest of culture. The temptation is as people mock and ridicule and insult God, we tend to blend in because we don't want to be the weirdo, right? Who wants to be the, the oddball, the one that sticks out? And as the rest of the world insults Jesus, we can tend to blend in. We don't want to be the odd man out. I don't know about you guys, but I can remember times in my past 
especially those high school years, you know, when you wish to really gain the approval of your peers, where I didn't stand out. I blended in. There have been times when I could have stood up for Jesus. I could have stood up for my convictions. I could have stood up for my faith. But instead, I, I stood idly by. Or even worse, I joined in on the insulting. There will be opportunities for us to be the light of Jesus. To let our light shine before our men. You will have those opportunities. In those times, have the courage to stand out and not blend in. You know, maybe in your workplaces, you know, when you have those, those, those conversations around the water cooler, when there's a discussion that you know wouldn't be pleasing to God, stand out. Don't blend in. Maybe it's standing out amongst your unbelieving family or friends. You have friends and family that, that aren't followers of Jesus. When everyone else wants to live for themselves and wants to live for more stuff and the things of this world, you take a stand to live for Jesus and not for yourself. Though they mock you, though they may make fun of you or even curse God, you continue to live for the audience of one. We don't blend in. We stand out. And there'll be opportunities, just like this criminal on the cross, to join in on the choir of people cursing God and throwing insults and insulting God's people. But don't be like him and joining in those insults. Don't blend in with the rest of culture. Stand out. The second thing we can see from his statement, the second thing we can learn is this. Don't seek out the benefits of Jesus without commitment and relationship. Don't seek out the benefits of Jesus without commitment and relationship. I hear this many times from people that want to experience the benefits of a walk with Christ without making a commitment to make Him Lord and Savior. Maybe you've heard this all the time. Maybe you've said this. Here's the way it plays out many times. There's different ways that it plays out. Here's one way, okay? As long as everything is good in their lives, you'll never see them step into a foot of a church. You'll never see them seek out Christian community. you never see them pray or even open their Bibles. But the moment tragedy hits, what happens? As, as long as everything is good in their lives, you'll never see them step foot into a church or anything. But as soon as tragedy hits, all of a sudden, there's prayers to God for deliverance. All of a sudden, we want forgiveness. All of a sudden, we want provision. God, please heal me. God, please help me. God, please deliver me. And as soon as God answers that prayer, or as soon as the situation is cleared, then what? And nowhere to be found. And I'm sorry, but if, that, if that's you, you don't need a Savior. You don't need Jesus. If that's you, what you need is Aladdin's lamp and a genie. But Jesus is not your genie. He is your Lord. He needs your devotion. He needs your respect. He needs your love. He needs your all. The thief, whether mockingly or not, he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, give me all your benefits. I don't want to live for you. I don't want to devote my life to you. I don't want to change my ways. But if you can get me out of here, hey, that'd be great. Let me put it this way. What would you say if I took Melissa as my wife, but I didn't spend any time with her? I didn't, I didn't tell her I loved her? 
We never experienced any intimacy. I never told her I love her. I just showed up once in a while and ate her cooking. Would you say that that I was a good husband in a committed and loving relationship? Why should it be any different with Jesus? This is what Jesus is asking of some of you today. He's been patiently knocking, knocking on the doors of your heart. And he's patiently waiting for you. And he desires relationship. He desires connection. He desires intimacy. Don't seek out the benefits of Jesus without commitment and relationship. Here's the third and last thing we're going to look at from the life of the criminal. There's a price to pay to follow Jesus. There's a price to pay to follow Jesus. The last thing we can see from the thief's words on the cross next to Jesus was his attempt to get out the easy way. He said, take me off this cross, Jesus. Save yourself and save me. You know, I've mentioned this before, but, you know, we're people that love shortcuts, don't we? Don't we love to cut corners whenever we can? The criminal who shared these words, he wants to live in his life of sin. He wants to live unrepentant. He wants to live without submission to Jesus or authority and still not have to pay any of the consequences and leave scot-free. He doesn't want to pay the consequences. He wants to live his life the way he wants to. He wants to get off the cross, but I'm not going to change anything, Jesus. I'm not going to surrender my life to you. I'm going to keep going about my merry way, and I don't want to pay the consequences for what I put myself in. How often do you hear this type of thinking? Maybe it's your thinking. Maybe you think this. You ever said this? If God is a loving God, how can he send people to hell? If God is truly loving, then no matter what I do, I can enjoy the benefits of heaven while living like a demon on earth. If God is truly loving, what's truly being asked behind those questions, what's really being asked is this, why can I live a life, live life however I want without paying any of the consequences? That's what you're really asking yourself. Why can I live how I want, however I want, without paying any of the consequences. By the way, the question to those answers, if you do ask, you know, how can a loving God send people to hell? The answer to that question is God doesn't throw anyone in hell. You put yourself there. God gives you a way out and salvation through Jesus and an opportunity to experience heaven and all eternity with God and the angels. And he says, you decide. You choose. Because God is loving, He won't force you to spend all eternity in heaven with Him. If you want to live your life on earth apart from God, why would He force you to spend all eternity with Him in heaven? He loves you too much. If you want to live your life without God now, why would you want to live with Him for all eternity? Hell is ultimately... For Satan and his demons is not intended for mankind. God gives you a way out. He gives you an opportunity through Jesus. The free gift of God's grace in Jesus. 
Look at what it says in Matthew 16, verse 24. It says this. Would you guys read it along? It's in your notes as well. Read this verse out loud with me. You ready? Go. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Guys, salvation is free. Following Jesus is costly. Let me say that again. Salvation is free, but following Jesus is costly. The moment you surrender your life to Jesus, the moment you put your faith in Him, you accept God's free gift of grace, you receive salvation instantly. But following Jesus, there's a price to that. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Take up your cross and follow Him. The idea is that following Jesus isn't easy. Think about the disciples. Each one had to pay a price to follow Jesus. They were mocked. They were ridiculed. They were rejected. Oftentimes, their lives were on the line. And they died martyrs' deaths for their belief in Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you will get mocked. You will get ridiculed. You will be called intolerant. In school, they will make fun of you because of your faith. At your job, people may reject you or ignore you or belittle you because of your faith. But in those moments, think about Jesus. The suffering servant who was innocently battered and beaten and bruised for our iniquity. Who innocently hung on a cross. Who innocently died and absorbed the wrath of God. Who forgave us our sin. Who gives us a new life in Him. Remember. Remember Him in those moments. If you're here today and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, then I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. Cross the line of faith and commit to follow Jesus. The whole reason, the whole reason we're talking about this, the whole reason why Jesus hung on a cross was for you and for me. He laid down His life so that you and I can find life in Him. The cross was meant for us. We deserve to die because of our sin. But Jesus died in our place so that we can experience life and forgiveness in Him. So if you're here today and you want to make that decision to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. On the back of your connection cards, if everybody would take that out, there's some next steps for all of us to follow. If you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, that's a decision between you and God. You can check it off there. Let us know by checking it off. Because we want to pray for you this week. We want, we want to be your church family that comes alongside you, that celebrates with you as you make that decision. But that decision ultimately is between you and God. I want to invite you to make that decision today. Do you guys join me in prayer as we close out? Lord, I pray that we might stand out. That we wouldn't blend in with the rest of the world. 
following this world's thought pattern. I pray that instead we would stand out. That we might be light in the midst of darkness. That we might show Christ's light to those who are in darkness. I pray that we might not seek the benefits of salvation apart from commitment and relationship to you and to one another. Lastly, I pray that when, that when we pray that we pay the price to follow Jesus, no matter the cost, that we would follow you no matter the cost. Give us courage to live for Jesus. For those that are on the threshold, on the precipice of making a decision to follow Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would nudge them and urge them into a relationship with, with Jesus. We pray all this in your precious Son's name. Amen. Amen.